Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all today? Whew, I can only imagine a world, nothing like this one. That is going to be something else. Well, good morning and welcome. My name is Nick. There is a great message ahead of us, and I hope you're ready, and it's just, it's going to be wonderful. Um, as we jump into it, let's pray. Father, God of all heaven and earth, thank you so much for this day, this time we have right now. Your, your love and your life that is, that is here for us. Prepare our hearts to hear stuff that, that might otherwise be hard to hear or, or different from our way of thinking. But help us see that there's something different beyond us, way better, that, that is there for us if we would. Thank you for the words that are going to come and the way that they're going to hit us today. In your great and wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, Mr. Bill. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who are visitors, my name is Bill. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I love this message that we're talking about, the series we're in. We started a couple of weeks ago. We're actually talking about the book of James, and we're going to be walking through the book of James uh, for several, actually, maybe even a couple of months before we're done. Uh, we started two weeks ago with the basic introduction to it. Nick did that. Uh, be real. Uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and early on in the church, uh, Christ appeared to him in his, after his resurrection, and James became the leader, if you will, of the church at Jerusalem. Apostles, uh, evangelists, everyone was sent out from Jerusalem, but the, Jerusalem kept being the center of those activities until 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed. But James was in charge of that. He was a seasoned leader. He made excellent uh, decisions and some of the actual leadership meetings and the things that he did are listed in the book of Acts. But James had a, a way about himself. He was blunt. He just said it the way it was. And so we started out with that information about that. He just, just comes at us with whatever he wants to tell us. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He just tells us this is what it is. And uh, for those of you who are a little older, you might have heard the expression, you know, this guy is willing to tell you the way the cow ate the cabbage. Now, there's some people going, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. What does a cow and cabbage have to do with what we're talking about? But old dudes like myself have heard that expression a lot. When you tell someone, this is the way the cow ate the cabbage, what you're doing is you're being blunt. You're saying, this is the way it is. No, no, no fluff, no varnish, nothing else on it. This is the truth. No filter. You just tell them what you think is the truth, and then they deal with it from there. That was James. And so uh, as the, the cow ate the cabbage last week, he told us how to deal with trials, pain, and suffering inside of our lives. And in so many words, uh, the verse, the title of the message was Suffer Well, which is what basically James was telling us. He came at us with a, this powerful verse that says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Consider it joy when, when things turn to smuckies uh, around you. Consider it all joy. If God is what he turns around and says, consider it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This first word, trials, is parismo, and it can mean anything. 
all of us this week have experienced perismos. It, you have to in this world. Things don't always go the way we want. Uh, things happen. And so he says, when this happens to you, it'll produce steadfastness. Again, one of my favorite words, steadfastness is endurance. One of the things about Christianity, it's about life, it's about anything that we try and bring about, is endurance, not quitting. The word is hoopamoni, it's underneath. In other words, under trials and pressure, you persevere, you keep going, you don't quit. That's what that verse is telling us to be able to do. It produces steadfastness, endurance. And then it says, if you stay in it, you don't quit. Ultimately, the trial is designed to improve us. It's have its perfect work so that we can be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. We said last week that it's, we don't, I don't, and I think I speak for most people, I don't learn easily. It takes often pain for me to grow. The thing that helped me be the better husband was pain in the relationship. What, what helped me, if you will, physical fitness and things like that was pain when I wasn't doing it right. And so it's pain that brings that about in relationships, at work situations, challenging situations. Uh, pain helps us grow, become what we're supposed to be. And this picture is a unique picture with a, a hand crushing a bunch of grapes. It's actually a biblical picture that's there. Uh, because when we count it all joy, we're to look at those trials as something that helps us. And that's looking at it, if you will, through the eyes of the Bible. And so when we get squeezed, and now think, I, I do this in... I'd like to say I have a good score, 100%, but I got squeezed this week. Several things happened that squeezed me. Uh, and so what, what did that produce in me? Was it this sweet wine, uh, this grape juice of growth and everything else? Or did I whine like a baby? <laughs> Isn't that a good picture of me? Well, yeah. Uh, well, I don't do that out loud. I'm old enough to get around that. I do it inside. But did I whine? Yeah. There, there were moments when I had to remind myself of this verse. Okay, God, what are you teaching me? So last week, we came right at this. And this is James comes right at us and says, uh, we, what are you going to do? When you get porismos, are you going to whine or are you going to grow? Uh, last week, we talked about how to grow, but asking the right questions that's there. And ultimately, James, in his unvarnished way, said, when you get trials, suck it up, buttercup. No pain, no gain. Grow. Find, ask God, why am I going through this? Is it something I can do to fix that inside of my life? Now, he, he stops after that and takes a pause once he says, okay, you're going to be perfect and complete. And, and then he says, well, to understand that, you have to have wisdom. In other words, just First, hearing the trials are painful and they, they come at us and they're good for us. That's not the normal response. The normal response is to get out of pain, to get out of sickness, to get out of strife, to get out of these trials. Just leave me alone in it. So when that happens, the next thing that James tells us in trials, in life, if you want wisdom, ask God for wisdom. The, the next verse, immediately after this one, 
turns around and says, if any of you lack wisdom, if you're in this situation, a trial, something going on in your life, and you don't understand what's going on, it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Isn't that a concept? I mean, stop it. We can ask God. We can ask God what he thinks about the situation, how he's telling us we should respond. Ask God. He gives it generously without reproach. He doesn't... God is not offended when we ask him questions, even specific questions. Now, I'm not talking about a fist in his face. I'm talking about, God, help me understand. I, I, I know you're all wise. I know you love me. I know this situation is something that you've ordained or allowed. So please give me wisdom. Show me why this is happening to me. Ask in faith. This is trusting God, no doubting. Because if we, we understand, last week we were very clear that the trials, tribulation, and events of our life are either allowed by God or ordained by God. Big point last week, Satan's on a leash. He can't do anything unless God allows it. So when things happen, this is when we start to ask him. But if we're, we're back and forth, we've got uh, a different worldview, we're not following the Bible exactly in this thing, James says... Focus on what he says. Have, see the world through his lens. We use this expression a lot here at Crossroads because it's, it's kind of biblical, so we think it's a good idea to use it. Uh, we can have a biblical worldview. I can see the world through Jesus' eyes, through the eyes of the Bible. This is a biblical worldview. It's a presupposition that recognizes the existence of God and the control of God, the power of God, and the wisdom. When I, when I look at the world, I look at something that God created. Jesus, with a word, in the beginning God created heavens and earth. He spoke it into existence. We'll talk more about that as a foundational belief in a God that's all-wise and all-powerful as we do that. So my worldview is God's in charge. God's wise, and God loves me. These are foundational beliefs. Now, that's a biblical worldview. A, a secular worldview will turn around in a presupposition before an atheist or an agnostic uh, or a humanist will even look at a situation to look at the evidence. They'll say, well, before I look at that, there's no God. There's no God. There's no supernatural forces. Everything is natural. Everything has been brought about by random accidents of evolution. So I'm not even going to consider God. I, even when they see clear evidence of design, which is all science continuously uncovers design in the creation that we live in, our, anywhere from our DNA uh, to the way that our kidney works uh, to the way our heart is able to pump, all of these things are miraculous creations. But they say, nope. I cannot consider God. And this is our culture today. And I'm going to emphasize that. We live in a culture that has rejected and removed God. Moving from, first off, public discussion. If you, if you turn on radios, TVs, bloggers, what you're going to most likely, or go, if you will, to the public education system, the government, they purged God. For 63 years, since I'm just, I use 1960, 63 graduating classes have graduated without any knowledge of God uh, from the schoolroom. They have, again, uh, what is that, something like uh, 
18,000 or 16,000 hours of education, 32 hours a week, and there's no God. So they have a secular worldview. That's what they're teaching, a presupposition that denies the existence of God. Matter of fact, they were so offended that they had to ban God's Bible. They had to get rid of God's word. They had to, even people now in some church, in some schools, you can't even wear a cross that shows. You can wear it, but you got to put it below your shirt. You don't want to offend anybody with something as crazy and radical as the cross. And so secular worldview, biblical worldview. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to us generously as we see the world through his eyes. Now, push pause. Now it gets scary. James goes on in the fourth chapter of the book of James, and he says, you adulterous people. This is not a compliment, by the way. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world, in other words, a worldview from the world, is enmity, is, is making God an enemy. Therefore, if you want to be a friend of the world, you're, you, you become an enemy of God. He says there's two worldviews. If you follow God, you're, you're, you're agreeing with him. If you choose the world's wisdom over God's, he becomes your enemy. I don't know about you. Uh, I don't want God to be my enemy. I think common sense, I think. I think most of us would agree. But that's what James is saying, and that's the truth. If I deny, when God tells me to do something, I say, I'm just blowing him off. He, he becomes my enemy. I, I make him my enemy because I don't want to believe what he says or follow what he says. So when pain hits, back to the example, and, and we ask God, why is that there? From a Christian worldview, you'll say, What's, what, what caused that? If it's a secular worldview, it's just randomness, stuff happens, just deal with it. Or blame someone else for it, which is more common in our culture today. Uh, but if, if we look at it and say, Lord, was it my sin? Is there some sin in me? Wisdom, God, that, that's causing this pain? Uh, is, is, it, is that it? Or, Lord, is, is, so there's something I want to learn in this. Or is this, is this pain where you can, you can heal me, teach me something? Very, that's true, too. But it takes wisdom. So we have to ask God in all of these circumstances, uh, whether it's strife in a marriage, whether it's being trapped behind a, I don't know why I always use this example other than it's, so painful when it happens. Uh, a big hunkin' camper on 395, and it's going 45 miles an hour, and uh, they've got those stupid little cones, and you just want to run them over to get around. Uh, those kind of things happen. The wisdom of God, you're just teaching me patience, and I'm going to get there at just the right time. Each one of those is seeking wisdom. James gives us each one of those things. He's blunt. He comes at it. We can listen to the world, or we can listen to God. If we listen to the world, we make God our enemy. Clear, this is the, this is the trust of the message today. Uh, very blunt. Follow the world, make ourselves an enemy of God. Uh, but James, he says when we seek wisdom, he, he talks about the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. We choose what that is. Uh, this, this picture that I put up, you may not be familiar with. Uh, anyone who's watched the Matrix series or parts of the Matrix series, uh, there's four Matrix movies. Uh, Keanu Reeves got his start. I mean, of course, his, his greatest thing was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That was a classic. Uh, 
but as you move through, he became the Neo of the Matrix series. And, and the Matrix series is based on a premise that the world is a construct. The reality of the world is a, a system run by artificial intelligence, supercomputers that projects an image and people move in them. So uh, Morpheus, the, uh, one of the, the people that are on the good side, bringing two pills. And they say, here's two pills. Here's a, a red pill and a blue pill. And he says, if you want to see the truth of the world, take the pill. If, if you don't want to take that, if you don't want to take the red pill and see the world as it really is, well, then take the blue pill. You'll go home. We'll put you back in your bed and you're done. So the question of Christians, and it's, uh, I'm not saying that God is offering us two pills, but he's offering us truth to see the world the way it is. Or we can turn back and say, no, I don't want to hear God's opinion of truth. And so today, I'm encouraging myself and everyone else to continue to, to take God's approach and God's worldview as we do that. How do we apply it? First, again, let's, let's go back to last week. Because we said last week, every time you face a temptation to do right or wrong, but normally it's to do wrong, when you have a temptation, we're promised that God will show us a way of escape. God's wisdom will tell us Sheesh. Just running in my mind, I think the most important, one of the most important lessons to be able to learn in temptation to avoid anger, to avoid frustration, is the gift of forgiveness. Doesn't that sound simple? To just forgive my wife, my kids, the camper on 395. Just, to, I mean, he's a human being too. God loves him. But it's forgiveness. That's a very simple lesson. But we take that wisdom of God and forgive. It first off, if we don't forgive, we invite the devil into our home, into our lives, and into our heart. If, if you're here packing heat today on someone, God says forgive. Just release yourself from their bondage. Because if they hurt you, you're allowing them to continue to hurt you by not forgiving and following, following Christ's example on the cross. So that's just one example of wisdom. So if you want a way of escape out of strife and uh, this term, forgive. He says, he, he, there's no temptation that overtaken you that I don't get. God will provide the way of escape. That's his wisdom. But now we live in a world where very few people follow God's wisdom. The way is narrow. The way is hard. We have to deny ourselves. We have to submit our wisdom to God's wisdom as we do that. And, and that's not a comfortable feeling. I have to put aside my high self-image, if you will, whatever it is, and follow God's wisdom. It's this, this, this narrow gate. It's wide and easy to follow the world's way. To have a secular worldview, that's easy today. Because everything that you look at on the web, everything you look at in media, everything probably at Facebook, at almost every place you go, you're getting a world's point of view. If you're walking in God's narrow, hard path, because it is hard to push back against culture, try to be a high school student today in a secular environment that says you're a random accident, your life has no value other than what you assign to yourself, 
or that any gender description, anything that you want to do, any the sex classes, uh, sex education classes are really educational about any way and any how that you want to commit immorality. That's, that's there. So the way of escape, God gives a way out of each of these. And, and, and oh, by the way, in 1922, 67% of the people considered themselves Christian. 3% had that biblical worldview. And a statistic to me that's interesting of the, those people who call themselves Christians, only 7% read the Bible daily. Well, why does the Bible suddenly become important? Well, the Bible is the source of truth. It's God's voice into our world. We, we, we talk about this often. We, we believe in the Bible. Believe is not a strong enough word. We build our lives. If I want a Christian worldview, the Bible has to be the center building block. It's in black and white. It's in front of us. And we're told that all Scripture, everything in the Bible, all Scripture uh, is God-breathed uh, by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we might be adequately equipped for every good work. The Bible is God's Word. You know, again, here's a secular worldview versus a Christian worldview. Uh, the evidence for the supernatural nature of the Bible is more than available. We have pamphlets and things in the back. Prophecy, you know, dedicates it. It's 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years, three languages. Uh, over this period of time, one of the most controversial subjects without conflict. It's a supernatural book. It is inspired by God, written by God, and maintained by God. And, and we're told that blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the secular worldview that's being given to you, but, uh, or stand in the seat of scoffers. And oh, by the way, they're out there, scoff at Christian. I can't believe you believe all that. Uh, but a Christian's delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the Scripture. Meditate day and night on it. Every day, get up and open it and hear from God. You know, so often we, we talk about wanting wisdom. We want to know what's happening. Ask God. Meditate day and night on it. If you, and, and if you do that, you know, it, you will prosper. But the wicked aren't that way. Those with a secular worldview, they don't listen to God. So as Christ's followers, we're told to meditate on the Word, to walk on the Word. And, and oh, by the way, there's some words there at the bottom inspired. The Bible is inspired. God breathed through 40 individuals to write 60 books. It's, in, there's, it's free from error. It's immutable. It doesn't change. We're constantly finding copies of older manuscripts which say the same thing as the ones that we've been using. And here's the word that is challenging today in our culture. It's authoritative. When God says it, it has authority. When I was raising kids, and one of the parenting things that you strive to arrive at is a phrase that you'll hear in Christian parenting, first-time obedience. When you're raising children, you want to be able to say, do this, don't do that, and they will go, yes, Mom, yes, Dad. First time obedience. This is, this is almost laughable in 20, 
going to. But it's, it's God's plan because he wants us to have first time obedience because his word is authoritative. And so often as the kids were growing up, just no, they would, they'd stop whatever they were doing, they'd respond. Later in life as they were teens and things like that because they respected us and they knew we were always watching if we were in an activity, a public activity, and a bunch of the kids were going out to do something, and we knew that they were, and they would look over at us. My wife or myself would just go, and they'd go. Not with that crew. Uh, but that was first-time obedience. What's the point? The point is with God, he's authoritative. Do we have first-time obedience? Do we believe when he gives us a direct command? The Ten Commandments had to be removed from the school. Heaven forbid that students be exposed to the Ten Commandments that tells them not to have sexual immorality or to be angry at people, which is really murder, or have all these other gods. No, we can't have Ten Commandments. So, I don't know if you're familiar with this, is Ted Koppel was a very famous news you know, commentator in the United States. And uh, he made the mistake in, in 1987 to speak to the Duke University. And so it was a commencement speech, and he was asked as an honor to come and speak to the students. So as, as he was giving his talk, he started going through the Ten Commandments. And he started saying to the students, now is it reasonable to, to maintain sexual relations inside of marriage? Is that a good thing? Do you want a thief living next door? Do you want someone, and this is also common today, do you want to, is murder Okay. And he goes through the Ten Commandments, and ultimately he makes a statement that actually cost him his job. He says they're the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, or the Ten Good Ideas. When God speaks, it's a command. It's a moral absolute. In a culture today where all the boundaries are running back and forth and all of these things, when God speaks, it's authoritative proceeding from an authority. In this case, the ultimate authority. God himself speaks through his scripture to us. You know, and again, in my opinion, there's very few people read the Bible uh, at all, uh, daily, a very small percentage. Why? <laughs> Not because they don't believe it. They know what it says. Uh, Everyone's familiar with John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world, believe in him, you have eternal life. But he goes into John 3.19, there are people that don't come to the light because their deeds are evil. I knew what the Bible said before I became a Christian, and I was doing a bunch of stuff that I knew I shouldn't do. So I just avoided the light. And that's, that's so much what we find today. And the next point is there is a real conspiracy theory. This conspiracy theory is not for a bunch of elitists around the world, the way most people see it, to take over our world. It's, there's not a conspiracy theory inside of Washington, D.C., per se, uh, to do that. But if there is a spiritual, or excuse me, a, a conspiracy, it's by Satan. It's a spiritual conspiracy to hide the truth from us. Beware of false prophets. As scripture is breathed, beware of false prophets that speak against us. Put on God's armor that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. We wrestle this, all of these conspiracy theories, and I think we have to watch carefully what's going on in our culture, so I'm not 
blowing off that, that there are things afoot in our world that are destructive to our country and to our kids and everything else. But what I'm saying is the root behind those is not a political agenda by either party. It's by Satan himself trying to destroy this country and this world and each person sitting here, by the way, with the lies that he tells. Uh, put on the full armor that we'll be able to stand uh, against the, the authorities, and these are not government authorities. These are spiritual authorities that control government authorities that are around us. So again, very clear, put on what God offers us to protect ourselves. And in our culture today, this, these statistics, again, it's veiled. You, you have to go out of your way to find uh, well, an example that's probably not real popular. Let me just throw it out there. This morning, I teach a class on Romans. So I wanted to see what the Internet says about how do you become a Christian? So I use a phrase that Christians are familiar with called the Roman road. In the book of Romans that we're studying, what does the book of Romans, how does God lay out in his scripture how to become a Christian? So I went to the source of all wisdom, Mr. Google himself, and uh, in a matter of a fraction of a second, I got hundreds of thousands of hits on how to, how to become a Christian, how to know God. And I started reading them. They were bogus. There was no mention of the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the pathway to know Christ. There was nothing in personal sacrifice. There certainly was nothing about repentance, turning from our sin sinful ways. The wisdom that was being poured out at us veiled Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. Our, if our gospel is veiled, it is in our culture today to those who are perishing. The God of this world, and make no mistake, God is the God of this world. He's not the supreme ruler. He's on God's leash. But he rules this world down here. God, Jesus didn't argue with him on that. But it keeps people from seeing the light. And so one of the purposes we at Crossroads here, my goal, is to irritate as many people as I can. I really is, except irritate to the point of taking action. Stop and look at what's happening around us. In this case, seek God's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. Uh, I, for those of you who know, I'm a bookie. Not I take bets, no. I read books. And so uh, just a couple of books that, 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 that I can certainly recommend to you. Uh, number one, and these are two radically different authors. On the left is John Cooper, who leads a screaming Christian rock group. Uh, that, that's out there, and uh, his verse, his book, Awaken Alive to the Truth. Interacting with young kids, his name, the name of the group is Skillet, interacting with young kids for 30 years now as a, as a leader and an idol of these kids. And he gets to know them, so he's studied, and he says, what is the truth? What are they learning, and what is the truth? And his title, Awaken Alive to the Truth. Uh, Finding truth in the chaos, a relative world. He says, to find truth. In other words, what's the biblical worldview? What's the biblical truth in what's there? And the other one uh, is Natasha Crane, who is, in my mind, just a brilliant writer. Well, both of them are brilliant writers. Uh, Natasha lays out very carefully, step by step, 
the culture that surrounds us and the information that is coming to us, how we're being spoon-fed to keep us from knowing the truth, that we have to push through the wisdom of the world to get to God's wisdom. So these are two books, and I, I suggest you do it, particularly if you've got kids. Find out the culture that we're raising our kids in, because we said a little while ago that there's two pills being offered. Your kids are not being offered on their phones or their Internet or in their, even in many of the educational situations a view of the truth from a biblical perspective. So as parents, beyond that. Okay, now, where do we go for truth? Uh, this is radical. Get ready. Jesus. Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus. Jesus is the truth. When he speaks, he speaks truth. His life is the truth, the true representation of a God that loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us. Jesus is the truth. Jesus said to the, those who believe in him, if you abide, remain, connect, uh, just as this grape is hanging on that vine, just as that's taking place, if you do that with me, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want to be set free from the culture, from the lies, from the, from the conspiracy that's going on around us? Read about Jesus. Come to know him personally and hear his voice. Hear his voice as we do that. Jesus said I, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. People get mad at Christians because they say, you are so exclusive, you should be inclusive. Uh, we are. Christ died for the whole world. God so loves the world. God so loves each and every person. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what anything is, whether your sin or my sin at 33 years old when God showed that he loved me. Totally inclusive. But we follow him. We love him. We can't use him as a get-out-of-hell-free card with some simple prayer that has no meaning or reality inside of our life. He's the truth. Jesus created all that is here. Abide means to remain intimately and connected. And the word is, is God's word, the mandate, when he speaks to us. So this is that, the emphasis on connecting when God speaks through his word to us. Winning the battle for a Christian worldview. First, I say this all the time. Uh, don't believe the old bald guy. Don't believe what I tell you. You're setting yourself up for deception. Don't, you know, I do my very best. We've got people that check what I say, and believe me, they let me know when I get off. But don't build your life on what I say. Build your life on what God says. When I quote God correctly and, and speak truth, well, then listen to me. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every teacher. Don't believe every pastor. Don't believe every talking head. Don't believe any of those, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. When you listen to someone talk, I don't care if it's a politician, if it's an uh, influencer on the web, if it's a podcast, anything, don't believe them. Because it, it gives us a very clear, many false prophets are out in the world today, 2023, absolutely. But by this you'll know the Spirit of God. The one that confesses that Jesus came in the flesh is from God. The one who confesses Jesus as 
our Redeemer, our Savior, our Messiah, and our Lord that we, that we serve and follow and love, that's the truth. Because we do live in a time. It is here. This is said a time is coming. No, it's all around us. Just, just the little search on, on how do you get to know God will show you that many false prophets, people want to hear what they want to hear. Now, well, here's what people want. And I'll say this kindly. Many people offer a path to God that causes no sacrifice on our part. That Jesus is just life enhancement. I can live my life and I can follow Jesus and it's way cool because I got Jesus, my Jesus, my personal Jesus. I really don't have to follow him much and I go to heaven. My sins are taken. Christ died, of course he's going to send me. He loves me, of course I'm going to heaven. I was born in the United States, of course I'm a Christian. Or I said a prayer a number of years ago. This easy believerism uh, is what we have. That's what's in our culture today. Uh, so what do we know? What's the response to that? Well, very simple. God says you're responsible for knowing certain things. He says he makes himself known to all people. We can know what God says because he makes it plain. One of the this verse is, it comes out of the book of Romans, and it's, uh, this is the book that's being studied now by three groups. Kyra's running a group on Romans. There's a men's group on Wednesday night on Romans, and the Sunday school class at 9 o'clock, it's all on Romans. Because if we ever needed a time for spiritual clarity, it's 2023. The situation is such, but this is, again, God speaking, for what can be known about God is plain to him. God makes it plain to us, because he's shown that we're responsible for this revelation from God, for his invisible attributes, his invisible attributes, things that you can't see, his eternal power and his divine nature are clearly seen, so we are without excuse. In creation, if you just look at DNA, that's one of my favorite, just look at DNA, the billions of bits of information that have to line up accurately, planning information en encoded inside of this that makes a human baby. Go look at a baby and say, that's an explosion in the cosmic junkyard. That's the stupidest thing you could ever say. That is a creation by the living God. That, that is able with so many systems, and I go on, never mind. But God makes his eternal power through creation. It's known to us. That's why when science makes a presupposition before they look at anything and say, there's no God, so everything that we find has got to be explained without God. So everything has to have multiple billions and millions of years uh, and accident mutations and mutations never do anything positive. We know that. There isn't a parent that sits down and says, man, I'm praying for my kid to have mutations. No, That's not, that isn't the way it works. Claiming to be wise, we've became fools. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God. And we started worshiping ourselves. Humanism is what's taught in our culture. Man's wisdom, man's ability, all of things that are there. You know, if you if you have questions on the, on the creation, there's multiple websites. Science, true science, points to a creator. The, the websites that you can find, we've got answers in Genesis, uh, 
is a, a great one. Here's website, Institute of Creationist Research, A Case for a Creator, a video that you can watch on YouTube anytime you want. This is, the evidence is out there that shows what is true. Okay, and is, by the way, his divine nature, his eternal power now is divine nature. God did not leave it up to us to decide his nature, his nature, his inner being. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for us. God demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. You can't get any more objective proof than that. And how do we know Jesus is supernatural? How do we know? Because the miracles he did, the writings that he gave, the lives that were changed by his influence and his resurrection from the dead. These are historical facts and evidence that you can go look. And he offers it to us. He puts his hands out and he says, you know, take a look. Thomas, put your, we did this at Easter too, so I don't have to repeat it really. Uh, but put your hands in my scars. Know for certain that I was dead, I was crucified, you watched it, and I'm here. And he asked each of us to put our hands in the scars. To come to know the living God without doubt and with certainty. This thing comes from John Adams, President of the United States, early on before we canceled him. Facts are stubborn things. Whatever our wishes may be, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they cannot alter uh, the state of facts and evidence. The evidence is overwhelming. The facts are in front of us. I encourage people to do that. When you look for wisdom, look for wisdom there. That's, that's what we're responsible to do. That's our hope. And so today, again, back to the main verse, in summary and application, really, uh, if we want to come to know him, keep his commandments. If, if we want to do that, uh, it, it is mandatory that we do this. If we say we know him and we want to follow him, why do we call him Lord, Lord, and not do what, we, what he says? They are not suggestions. They are commands from a loving God who, for our betterment, encourages strongly first-time obedience to his word. Uh, Christian biblical worldview that's given to us through the scripture. When we lack wisdom, again, ask of him. Ask of him, it's before us. Again, the, the two pills. You want to see reality as it is or not? The choice is open to scripture. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. He'll give it without reproach. He's free to tell us the truth. And this is not wild spiritual ramblings. God's word is backed up by evidence, facts, and truth so that we can, we can trust him. So when we live in a culture that is telling us that there is no God or that his word isn't reliable or all of these other things that's in our culture today, their suggestions, follow your feelings, all of these things are out there. Don't follow the wisdom of the world. That's adultery toward God. Follow his truth. And if you're here, by the way, I, I always need to say this when, at appropriate times. If you're here and you're looking, you're, you're, you're seeking for what's true in Christ and you don't know, 
Come talk. That's why Dion, myself, the staff, that's why we're all here, is to be able to help people along a journey from, like I was, from ignorance to God's view, to God's wisdom. Let us help. Let's join me in prayer. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you're the God that speaks, the God that is, the God that is truth, the God that is love, that loves us enough to send your son to die for my sins personally. He died for the world, but he died for each sinner, each sin that we might be set free. And as we walk in Christ, we may be able to have the wisdom of God in our lives. We thank you that we have this message to pass on to others. We thank you for all of that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.